appreciated it because I thought he is setting the stage for the message I want to deliver today. And then you continue to give the whole message. <laughs> I, I don't know long, how long you've been a part of this body, but there's probably a good chance the preacher's going to preach about Palm Sunday on Palm <laughs> Sunday, right? That's... Actually, today you've been a part of this body one more year, haven't you? Happy birthday. In case you forgot, happy birthday. <laughs> okay. From Proverbs, we read this. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. This is from Proverbs. And by the way, while we're on the subject, this is from Proverbs, right? There's no, nothing hidden here. These are Proverbs. These are not promises. They're Proverbs. They're general understandings about life. Sometimes these things are played out exactly the way they're written. Sometimes they're not. But they are things to remember. And we may reject, we may scoff at the things that we've learned over the past year, year and a half, weeks and months. After all, it is kind of an old-fashioned thing. Loving your neighbor. Believing in Jesus. Seems old-fashioned. Turning the other cheek relying upon some God for our salvation. In fact, it seems more and more old-fashioned. But I will tell you that the church is not broken, nor has it disappeared. But we do often find ourselves in the position of many of these people we read about on Palm Sunday or the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. We even find ourselves in a similar position to Pilate, the Roman governor, either exalting Jesus in our lives as King and Messiah, or sometimes we just go along with the loudest crowd, or sometimes our crazy ideas. We'll go along with those who reject Jesus' word. You know, there are moments, there are times when it seems like that would be easy, it seems like that would be expedient. In fact, we sometimes even, even lie to ourselves a little bit. We say, we're just keeping the peace. But ultimately, that leads to death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus died. We thank you, Father, that uh, Jesus rose again. We thank you that we are here today with hope. We're here today with meaning and purpose because we can give our lives to Jesus, knowing that those lives continue, not because we're good, but because Jesus is, we trust him. We ask, Father, today that you will help to see, uh, help us open our minds to see these things, to realize that Jesus is the truth. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You could turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 21, and we're not going to be there yet, but we'll get there. Though it is Palm Sunday, I first want to transport us to the events surrounding Good Friday. Palm Sunday is the day Jesus enters Jerusalem. As you've already heard, 
Good Friday is the day Jesus was crucified. Jesus was arrested on Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane and brought to a trial, really a farce of a trial. In fact, we know from Jewish law that it was an illegal trial. But ultimately, he was taken before Pilate, who was the Roman governor. And Pilate would decide Jesus' fate. Now, I want to just ask you if any of these things sound familiar to you. Number one, we discover this, that the crowd was against Jesus. The crowd was against Jesus. In Luke chapter 22, and this will be on your screen, this is in the garden. While he, that is Jesus, was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. A little bit later on in that same passage, verse 52, then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers, they were there to, to arrest him. And to the temple guards and to the elders and to everybody else who came, he says, look, am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was among you. Every day I was with you in the temple courts. But you didn't lay a hand on me then. But now this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed along in the distance. This was a crowd that was against Jesus. And and make no mistake, this was a fairly powerful crowd, particularly if you were a Jewish person. This was being uh, orchestrated by the high priest, being orchestrated by the Sanhedrin and some of the Pharisees and Sadducees that hated what Jesus was teaching. Why did they hate what Jesus was teaching? Because it interrupted their way of life. It interrupted their power. It interrupted their influence over the Jewish people in Jerusalem. The crowd that came up to Jesus was the religious elite. Those who make the decisions. And they hated Jesus. In fact, a lot of this crowd we see as we read through some, of, some scripture was rather corrupt in its dealing. But make no mistake. Just because they were corrupt, it did not necessarily diminish their power or their influence over people. The crowd was against Jesus. The crowd falsely accused Jesus. So far we've got the crowd against Jesus, now we've got the crowd falsely accusing Jesus. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Luke chapter 23. When the whole assembly rose and they led him off to Pilate, they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar, and he claims to be Messiah, a king. A little bit later on in that same passage, they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee, and he has come all the way here. Let's look at some of these charges. We have found this man subverting our nation. What nation? The Israelite nation? The Judean nation? The Jewish nation? The Roman nation? Satan's kingdom? Jesus is not subverting any established nation. You ever notice, read through the gospel accounts. The one area that Jesus never addresses... The one thing he never talks about, Rome. Never talks about that. Doesn't care about that. 
cares about the person. Cares about this kingdom right here. The reason Jesus doesn't talk about Rome is because Rome's too small. He talks about a lot bigger things than that. Rome governed the world, and it was too small. Jesus didn't talk about that. He talked about you. He talked about me. He talked about the condition of our lives and our hearts. He talked about the condition of our faith. Following him, believing him, living out his character in our lives. At no point is Jesus subverting an established nation. He is simply revealing his own. And his own is this right here. Right here. That's Jesus' nation. He's opening the eyes of men and women to revolution through revelation. And he's not leading a rebellion. What was their next charge? In fact, he tells me, asks them, am I leading a rebellion? That you come with clubs and swords and think I'm a dangerous man? Second charge was this. He opposes paying taxes to Caesar. This was a deliberate lie. A deliberate lie about Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself, right? You've heard the story. He says, give to Caesar. What's Caesar's? If Caesar wants your money, give him your money. What does God want? I want it all. I want everything about you says Jesus. So yeah, if you got some table scraps, give that to Caesar. At no point is collecting taxes from Caesar some sort of contradiction to God's law. So he says, follow the law. There's no contradiction between loving God with all that you are and loving those around you, right? We know that that fulfills all the law. He says, follow the law. Give to Caesar what's Caesar. Paul talks at length about this in Romans later on. A deliberate lie that was third charge, final charge. He claims to be Messiah, a king. Now the way this is done, the way this is read is not the eternal Messiah, not the anointed one to save mankind. What they're trying to drive home is the anointed one to rule on the throne in Rome. It's purposely meant to suggest that Jesus wanted to usurp power from Rome and take over the throne of Caesar, the anointed one to rule. Again, Jesus said no such thing. He doesn't care. Not about those things. Though he did claim to be the Messiah, the anointed one. The one that's not just going to rule Rome, it's going to rule hearts and going to rule minds and going to rule the entire cosmos. What's the fourth charge? He stirs up the people. This was the big one. This was the big one. They're driving home the point to Pilate that he disturbs the peace. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. This is what they wanted Pilate to act upon because Pilate had a responsibility to act upon anything that is disturbing the peace of Rome. You have to put him down. Jesus disturbs the peace. Same charge we hear today. He causes waves. He changes things. That's what Jesus does. I don't want a moral standard. I don't 
don't want to be challenged. I certainly don't want to treat everybody else the way I want to be treated. I want to be treated better. Humility, submission, service. What do you think I am? I'm no one's slave. Jesus messes it all up. He says, from now on, that's the way I want you to define your life as one who is humble. One who serves, one who loves. See, this is what they mean by disturbing the peace. Whose peace was Jesus disturbing? Not the peace of Israel, not the peace of Judea, not the peace of Rome. He was disturbing the peace of the crowd. And it's the same thing today. The crowd chose rebellion over peace. Luke chapter 23 and verse 18. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, that is Jesus. Release Barabbas to us. Again, it was customary for them to show mercy to a prisoner during this time. And they said, release Barabbas to us. Again, he'd been thrown in prison because of an insurrection and for murder. Mark chapter 15, the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas. Fascinating how this is in direct contradiction to the charge against Jesus, isn't it? Barabbas is known for leading a rebellion against Rome. And that was one of the charges against Jesus. He leads a rebellion. Why don't you release this rebel to us instead? All sense has gone out the window. Their own argument fails by itself. We want peace, so let's do away with the Prince of Peace. The crowd pressed the issue. The crowd was against them. The crowd falsely accused him. The crowd chose rebellion over peace, and the crowd pressed the issue. Luke 23, 23 and 24, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. Key in on that for a moment, will you? Their shouts prevailed. Their argument didn't prevail. Their reason didn't prevail. Their rationale didn't prevail. Their loud voices, their shouts prevailed. In verse 24, so Pilate decided to grant their demand. He decided to grant their demand. This is a tragic picture in Pilate's life. It's a tragic moment. In this moment, Pilate determines that this way is right for him. To give in to the crowd, this way is good for him. This way keeps the peace. This way is easy. This way is politically expedient, whatever it might be. But this moment, he has a decision. And what he thinks is right leads to death. Now, I have a hard time saying, I'll be honest with you, I have a hard time saying that this is a tragic moment in Jesus' life or in our life or in history. Uh, We needed Jesus to die. Don't you find that interesting in Scripture? That we, we sometimes look at the crowd that wanted to crucify Jesus. We look at Pilate who ultimately allowed him to be crucified. We look at these guys as the bad guy, and yet here we sit 
knowing that we needed Jesus to die for us. But that doesn't change the fact that every person, including Pilate here, including all of those associated with that crowd, has a choice to either honor Jesus or dishonor Jesus in their life. It's not as though our decisions catch God by surprise or that he has to adapt and alter his plans. We get to live out the gospel. We get to live out our faith in Jesus. We all have a choice. Sometimes God's answer, one of the myths that people believe, and it's just, it's, it's, we'll go into these lessons one of these days. It's, God has a plan for everything in our life, every moment. No, sometimes God says, hey, it's up to you. Either way, it's up to you. We have a choice. But often there's a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. In the end, Pilate thought that appeasing the crowd was good for him. He thought that that was the smartest move for his own life and his own position, his own power, his own reputation, his comfort, his own peace. But you know, Pilate wrestled just as we do. He went back and forth in his own mind, in his own conscience. He's confronted by the crowd. You're confronted by the crowd that hates Jesus. And just like Pilate, oftentimes we go back and forth and back and forth. And what's the right move? Remember what faith is. Obedience to Jesus Christ, no matter the outcome. Look at the first time he addresses Jesus' accusers. Luke chapter 23, verse 4. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, Look, I find no basis for a charge against this man. That was his first address. It wasn't as though the crowd showed up and Pilate hated Jesus and he said, you're condemned to die. No, he wrestled in his own mind, in his own heart, in his own conscience. And the first time he addresses, he says, I find no basis to go with the crowd rather than go with Jesus Luke chapter 23, 13 through 15, Pilate called together the chief priests. This is the second time now he addresses the crowd. He called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and he said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence, and I have found no basis for your charges against him. I hear charges against Jesus all the time. Let me tell you something. I find no basis for the charges against Jesus Christ. You can read through his life yourself. Herod, Pilate says, Herod found no charges against Jesus. He sent him back, as you can see. He's done nothing deserving of death. And ultimately, he's going to address this crowd a second time, back and forth, in the battle of the mind and Pilate. Sometimes this is the same struggle we go through. And it's hard to go against the crowd sometimes. The crowd's all over the world. The crowd we get exposed to all the time by those who either hate Jesus or have no understanding of who he is. Just go along. Finally, he addresses the third time. Luke chapter 23, verse 22. But the third time he spoke to them as they were demanding crucifixion for Jesus. Why? What crime has he committed? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, look, I'll have him punished and then I'll release him. Pilate's on the right track, isn't he? I don't know about the punishment part, but he's on the right track. 
He's resisting what is bad. Resisting what is evil. He's looking into his mind, his heart. He's, he's struggling with the truth. But that crowd, that crowd in your life, outside these walls in your workplace, friends, family, that crowd demanding give up on Jesus. The crowd we listen to is just too strong. It's just too big. It's just too loud. So finally, again, in Luke 23, Pilate decided to grant their demand. It wasn't his own conscience either that Pilate refused to obey. It wasn't just his own conscience that he refused to submit to, refused to listen to. In Matthew chapter 27, his own wife comes to him. Matthew chapter 27, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. Don't have anything to do with this innocent man. For I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Now look, the Bible doesn't say where this dream came from. It doesn't say whether or not it's authentic, as we do have authentication of God speaking in dreams throughout Scripture. But regardless of that, the advice is sound. Don't have anything to do with this man because he's innocent. The advice is sound as it relates to Pilate's own choices. His own wife refers to Jesus as an innocent man. On top of all of that, Jesus, just like us, spoke to Jesus. Or Pilate spoke to Jesus. Pilate was looking for truth. They talk about truth. This is that that famous line as Pilate says, oh, what is truth? As though it's relative. Pilate's looking for truth and truth is standing right in the room. We look for truth. In the written word, Jesus, the living word, we have the written word in the room. And that's truth. We look for truth in the midst of a yelling crowd that hates Jesus. But that crowd is loud. They were all against Pilate. They were all against Jesus. All the people in Jerusalem wanted Jesus dead and gone. All the people in the area wanted Jesus done away with. All the people that uh, that you associate with hate Jesus, want nothing to do with Jesus, couldn't care less about Jesus. You're all by yourself. If we think that, If we think that was the case then and we think that's the case today, you might just be listening to the wrong crowd. You might be listening to the wrong crowd. I told you we'd get to Matthew chapter 21. This is now the second time you've heard this today. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you'll find a donkey that is humility, this beast of burden, a donkey tied there with a colt by her, Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. Again, this took place to fulfill prophecy. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on the colt, a foal of a donkey. The disciples went. They did as Jesus told them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on it for Jesus to sit on. 
a very large crowd began to spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. A little bit later on, the Pharisees tell Jesus, Hey, keep these people quiet. Don't let them sing. Don't let them dance. Will you calm them down? Jesus looks at these Pharisees. He says, fellas, if they keep quiet, even the rocks are going to worship me. Creation itself is going to be the crowd. That's the crowd. I don't believe for one second, at no point does Scripture tell us, I don't believe for one second that this crowd that is ushering in Jesus and praising him for what he is all turn their backs on Christ. We know that some do. Some always will. But church, don't listen to the wrong crowd. We know that the Pharisees incited some of the crowd to have Barabbas released. But you know, I'm reminded of Elijah here. I'm reminded of Elijah here today as I, as I, as I want to celebrate Easter. Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper, and there we hear the voice of God. The whisper in the midst of chaos. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, look, I have been very zealous For the Lord God Almighty, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. I'm the only church. I'm the only Christian. I'm the only one who cares about Jesus. I'm the only one who wants to serve. I'm the only one that listens to the words of Christ. I'm the only one that takes that stand and says, I'm not going to follow the crowd. I'm the only one. And they want to destroy me too. In verse 18, God addresses this claim. He says, I have reserved 7,000. All whose knees have not bowed to Baal. all, All whose mouths have not kissed him. He says, look, Elijah, you're not alone in this. There's a lot of prophets left. There's a lot of those left who honor me. There's always the crowd that honors Jesus. There's always the crowd that loves who he is and what he is. There are more. You will find as you leave this place that there are those who walk in the way of righteousness. They strive to, right? That's what it is. They give their life to Jesus and want to follow Jesus. And they screw it up along the way, but who cares? Jesus doesn't make mistakes. And they walk in the way of righteousness. Problem is, they only might sound like a whisper at times. I'm reminded of of Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 6, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. 
This is the crowd. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be, a don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around them. I'm reminded of the revelation of Christ. Revelation chapter 7, after this, this is John, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out to the Lord in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Pilate was listening to the wrong crowd. Don't go through this life listening to the wrong crowd. Appeasing the loudest crowd. It seemed right for him in the moment. But it leads to death. His brief appearance in scripture I think is full of tragedy. He ignores his conscience. He disregarded the good advice of his wife. He chose, he chose comfort, political expediency. He failed to recognize truth when truth was standing in the room. And the decision he made to destroy Jesus may have appeared right in that moment. The church, his focus was on the wrong crowd. It was on the wrong people. And it was certainly on the wrong king. You will encounter people as you walk through life who hate the very idea of Jesus. What do they call it? An old-fashioned thing. And certainly out of touch. Closed-minded. They'll call it stifling. Almost like a prison. They will hate his commands. They'll hate his teaching. They'll hate his followers. They'll certainly hate that crazy group of people called his church. And I got to tell you, it's tempting. It's tempting to listen to the crowd because they're loud. They offer you ease. They offer you comfort. But then there are others. Always. Those who know. Those whose eyes they have allowed to be opened. Those who realize that when Jesus shows up, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter who we were, they realize that there is nothing better than when Jesus shows up. They're out there. Don't listen to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the love that you've given us, the love that you've shown us through Jesus. That Jesus would march into Jerusalem and not stop until he met the cross. Father, we don't like to hear about Jesus being tortured and killed, but we confess to you that we needed him to die. Because, because we've made a lot of mistakes in your sight. 
but we know you love us. We know that you had this worked out from the very beginning. Father, help us to remember as we go through this life, there are many, there are many whose knees have not bowed to false gods who worship Jesus. We mess that up sometimes, Father. But there are many that love Jesus. We thank you for his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Sunday. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for this moment this in, in history and time where Jesus becomes the sacrifice for all creation that we might be saved and live eternally with you. Father, what a tremendous gift. There's not a person in this room. Father, we confess to you there's not a person here that deserves the incredible grace and love and bounty that you pour out on us. There's not a single person here that deserves the forgiveness that you have given us and yet all of it is true we thank you for that kind of love we thank you that you created us so that we could live with you all being realized in Jesus I thank you for this this season of celebration in Jesus Amen
Good morning. I appreciated Dad's words, um, mainly because they weren't, a lot of them weren't his. They were from Scripture, right? I mean, that's the best way you can go. Um, read through exactly what I'm going to talk about today. Not being content with that, he continued on to talk about the crowd. Uh, so he just wanted to give the entire message already. Um, we're done here. What, you've heard it. Let's go. We'll compare. We'll compare. You can hold up score. Tell him next week. Just tell him. You guys talked about the same thing. and You were. See, I think he's getting, uh, I, I don't know. He's, I, he, today's his birthday, and I think he's trying to, uh, to forget that as best he can, which is quite easy uh, for him to forget those things. Don't worry. We made fun of him first service, um, and it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I love him very much. He's a good, good guy. Proverbs 14 says this. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that appears to be, seems to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Now, bear in mind, these are from the book of Proverbs, not the book of promises, right? These are Proverbs. They're general understandings about life that most of the time play out the way the proverb uh, tells us. But there are multiple times, often, just, just, just moments throughout our life, and certainly throughout human life in general, that we think we're doing the right thing, and we think this is the best course of action. And, you know, doing this thing, listening to this person, following this particular crowd. In fact, that direction leads to death. We may reject, we may scoff at the things that we've learned over the past few weeks and months, over the past year and a half as we've been going through a rather long, drawn-out series. After all, it's kind of an old-fashioned thing, believing in Jesus. Really? Believing in a God? Come on. Doesn't even happen today. Turning the other cheek. Being a, a servant instead of being served. You know, I don't want to treat other people the way I want to be treated. I want to be treated better than they are. That's what I want. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. After all, don't I just gain knowledge and wisdom as I go through life and exist? Why can't I focus on myself? 
Very old-fashioned. Give your life to Jesus. But the church is still here. The church is not broken. It's not disappeared. We often find ourselves in a position to honor Jesus or go along with the crowd. We find ourselves in a very similar position to Pilate, the Roman governor. Either we can exalt Jesus as King and Messiah, that is faith in Christ, obedience to Jesus, or we can go along with the loudest crowd. To go along with those who reject Jesus' word may seem right. It may seem expedient. It may seem easier. We even like to lie to ourselves sometimes and say, well, we're just keeping the peace. Just keeping the peace. But ultimately, those things can lead to death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Once again, we get the opportunity to worship you, to praise you. We thank you, Father, that uh, we're given the chance to thank Jesus, remember Jesus for who he is and what he is. I thank you, Father, that our eyes can be opened or we can be reassured today through your word, seeing this wonderful event in human history play out. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Though it is Palm Sunday, I want to transport us just temporarily to the events surrounding Good Friday. Good Friday, as you have already heard, is the day that Jesus was crucified. He was arrested on Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was brought to a trial. It was really kind of a farce of a trial. In fact, if you read a little bit about Jewish law, you know that it was an illegal trial. Uh, but he was brought to trial before the high priest. Ultimately, though, he was brought before Pilate, who is the Roman governor of that area. Pilate would decide Jesus' fate. And this is what Pilate was up against. This is what Jesus was up against. Now listen to this and see if any of this sounds familiar. Number one, the crowd was against him. The crowd was against him. The crowd was against Pilate. The crowd was against Jesus. Luke chapter 22 and verse 47, while he, that is Jesus, was still speaking, that's in the garden, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, that is one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. This was the mark that he was going to show, the, the, the signal that they could arrest Jesus. Luke chapter 22, 50 through 54, just a little bit later on in the passage, then Jesus said to the chief priests as they were arresting him, he says to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and the elders and everybody else who'd come, am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Look, every day I was with you in the temple courts. Every day I was preaching there. You got to see me all the time, but you didn't lay a hand on me then. And why? Because right now this is your hour. When darkness reigns, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. This was a fairly powerful crowd. In fact, it was an extremely powerful crowd. It wasn't the only powerful crowd, but it was extremely powerful. There were those who refused to deny Jesus, but there was a lot that would refuse to profess Christ because they didn't want to be put out of the church. That's what this crowd was able to do. This was the religious elite. Those, particularly if you were a Jewish man or woman, those who made the decisions in your nation. 
And we also see as we read throughout the rest of Scripture that many of them were rather corrupt. But their corruption did not take away their power or their influence or their, uh, their, this ability they had to determine the course of many people's lives. This was a powerful crowd that came to get Jesus. The crowd was against Him. Sounds familiar? The crowd falsely accused Jesus. Luke chapter 23. Then the whole assembly rose and led Him off to Pilate. That's all of these people that were a part of this arrest and trial. They began to accuse Him, saying, We found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. He claims to be Messiah, a king. A little bit later on in that same passage, they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. Let's look at these charges that this crowd that hates Jesus is leveling against him. Number one, we found this man subverting our nation. What nation? The Israelite nation? The Judean nation? The Jewish nation? The Roman nation? Satan's kingdom? Jesus isn't subverting any established nation. In fact, you ever notice there's like, there's one, read through the Gospels, there's one topic Jesus never talks about? Rome. He never talks about them. Oh, he mentions them here or there. But there's never a lesson on this. Rise up and destroy Rome. He didn't care. He didn't care. He never talks about Rome. Rome controls the world. And why does Jesus not talk about Rome? Because Rome's too small. Too small. He's going bigger than that. You see, Jesus is not subverting any nation. He's simply revealing his own. His own nation is here. His own nation's here. His own nation is the eternal kingdom. And he's establishing it now. He's not subverting any established nation. Jesus is opening the eyes of men and women to revolution through revelation and never rebellion. Revolution through revelation, but not rebellion. He even asked them, look, am I leading a rebellion? I haven't led a rebellion since we started. You guys come in swords and clubs. Second charge is this. He opposes paying taxes to Caesar. This is a deliberate lie. Even Jesus said, you know the story. You know the line. Even Jesus says, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's. Caesar wants you to pay taxes, pay your taxes. I don't care about that stuff. Give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God what's God, and what does God want? All of you. You got some table scraps left over in the form of money? Yeah, go ahead and toss that to Caesar. What does he care? He says, look, paying taxes to Caesar is not against God's law. If it's not against God's law, follow the law. God's law is to love him with all that you are and love others as yourself, right? This fulfills the law. And if the law of the land does not contradict God's law, then follow the law. We particularly find ourselves in a fortunate place in this nation. We can change the law if we don't like it. But he says, follow the law. Paul talks about this at length in Romans. 
The third charge against Jesus, he claims to be Messiah, a king. Now, the way this is described, the way they have laid this out is purposefully meant to suggest that Jesus wanted to take power from Rome and usurp the throne of Caesar. That's what Messiah means. That's, that's what the Meshikah means, to be anointed to rule. All right? He's saying, look, he's the one that's chosen to rule Rome. This is what they're trying to drive home as king. Jesus did no such thing. He didn't care about the Roman throne. Again, it was too small. It was too small. It wasn't wonderful enough. wasn't big enough. wasn't long-lasting enough. It was bigger stuff that he had in mind. He never once tried to take over the power of Rome or take over the power of Caesar. Now, he did claim to be Messiah, but not the same Messiah. He claimed to be the Messiah of all mankind, the Messiah of all creation, the Messiah of all the things that we see, all things created being reconciled back to the Father through Jesus. That's what he claimed to do, the real Messiah, the eternal Messiah. And finally, number four, he stirs up the people. This was the big one. This was the one that they knew or wanted Pilate to act upon. This meant to suggest that Jesus disturbs the peace. Pilate had a responsibility to act upon those who were disturbing the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. They, they uh, fulfilled that with an iron fist, and he had an obligation to act on it. Jesus disturbing the peace, you have to put him down. Jesus doesn't disturb the peace. He disturbs your life. He changes your life. He mixes it up, turns it inside out, changes it, reforms it, rebuilds it, reconstructs it into what you were always meant to be. But he doesn't disturb the peace. He's the author of peace, the prince of peace. That's, that's what Jesus is. What were they saying? Jesus is not disturbing the peace when it comes to this religious elite, this crowd. Jesus was disturbing our peace, right? We like the way things are going right now. We like to be serving Rome, but still having some table scrap power over some people, right? That's so we got to get rid of Jesus. Jesus doesn't disturb the peace. He brings peace. You've got to put Jesus down because he's going to mess things up. It's the same charge today. All of these charges we hear today, the crowds against Jesus, the false accusations of who and what Jesus is and what he brings. We see again today the crowd chose rebellion over peace. Luke chapter 23, you heard dad talk about this. The whole crowd shouted, away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. Now Barabbas is known to lead a rebellion. He's known to be a murderer. And this is the man they want released. By the way, remember that name, Barabbas. Barabbas for next week. This is the man they want released. It is in direct contradiction to the charges against Jesus. Barabbas was known for leading this rebellion. Look, notice all sense has gone out the window. They're confronted with who Jesus really is. And all sense now, they're contradicting themselves, has gone out the window. Their own argument fails. We want peace in our lives, so let's do away with the inventor of peace, the prince of peace. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? 
Give us the one who is known to be a rebel. And the crowd pressed the issue. Luke 23 through 24, with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. Their shouts prevailed. I'm sure you've run up against this in life. Their shouts prevailed. Not their argument. Not their reason. Not their rationale. Their shouts prevailed. The squeaky wheel prevailed. The loud foolishness prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. And this is the tragic picture. It seemed for Pilate good in the moment. That this was the smart move. Or else I promise you he would not have done it. He doesn't care about the people. He cares about his position. He cares about who and what he is. And so he granted their demand. It's a tragic moment in Pilate's life. I have a hard time saying that this is a tragic moment in Jesus' life or in our life or in history um, because we needed Jesus to die. Sounds weird, doesn't it? The the people or the crowd kind of is painted out to be the bad guy and Pilate's painted out to be the bad guy. And yet at the same time, if we think about it, we needed Jesus to die. All of us. That doesn't change the fact that every person has this choice to either honor Jesus or dishonor Jesus. The best way that we can, the best way that we know. Are you going to mess that up from time to time? Yeah, I mess that up all the time. The point is the pursuit of it, of honoring Christ, of obedience and submission to Him. Everybody has that chance. Everybody has that opportunity, even in the face of the loud crowd. Sometimes that loud crowd is many. Sometimes that loud crowd is one. It's not as though our decisions catch God by surprise. It doesn't make Him adapt or alter His plan. But we all have this opportunity. Often, though, when presented with these choices, there's a way that appears right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. You see, in the end, Pilate thought that appeasing the crowd was good for him. That's what he thought. That's why he did it. He thought appeasing the crowd was good for him. He thought it was the smartest move for his own life, his own position, his own power, reputation, his own comfort, his own peace, whatever it is. But Pilate wrestled with this just as we do when faced with the loud crowd. Look around. Listen. Read through the headlines. There's a loud crowd out there. Look at the first time that Pilate addresses Jesus' accusers in Luke chapter 23, verse 4. Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd after this first initial part of the interview, I find no basis for a charge against this man. This is his own reason talking to him. In other words, Pilate says, I find no reason, I find no, no, uh, uh, nothing that he has done to make me go along with the crowd. There's nothing in Jesus' character. There's nothing about Jesus. There's nothing that he has committed that makes me want to go along with this crowd. I find no basis for a charge against him. That's his own reason. 
Luke 23, 13 to 15. This is the second time Pilate addresses the crowd. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence, and I've found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod, for that matter, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he's done nothing deserving of death. This is now his own rationale. Back and forth. The battle of the mind. You know, very often, that's where these battles are. It's not between the one who follows Christ and the crowd in some physical sense. It's in the mind and in the heart and in the pride. Yes, it's easier to do what the crowd wants us to do. Those who deny Christ. It's so much harder to follow Jesus. And there's a lot of those with the weak heart and the weak mind who began to reject Christ as they became a part of the crowd. For the third time, Pilate speaks to him. Luke chapter 23, verse 22. For the third time he spoke to them. Why? After they demanded his crucifixion. What crime has this man committed? I found no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, tell you what, I'll have him punished and then release him. We think of Pilate as automatically the bad guy. He's not automatically the bad guy. He's going through this systematically, saying to himself, this wrestling match, go with the crowd, go with Jesus. Go with the crowd, go with Jesus. That crowd, though. The crowd is too big, it's too loud. The crowd we listen to in our own life. Luke chapter 23, again in verse 24. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. It wasn't even his own conscience, just his own conscience, that Pilate refused to listen to or refused to obey. Matthew chapter 27, even his wife comes in there. Matthew 27 says this, While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message, Do not have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Now look, the Bible doesn't say where this dream came from. It doesn't say whether it's authentic, as we do have authentication of God speaking in dreams throughout Scripture. But regardless of that, the advice is still sound. Don't have anything to do. Don't be against this teacher. Don't be against this prophet. Don't be against this man they call Messiah. Certainly has a bearing on Pilate's choices. His own wife refers to Jesus as an innocent man. Now, on top of all of that, what else does Pilate have? Just like us, he speaks to Jesus. We speak to Jesus in our prayers. We listen from Jesus through the Holy Spirit and through the Word. Pilate was looking for truth. That's where you get this famous line, what is truth, as though truth is relative. Pilate's looking for truth, and truth is right there in the room. We look for truth in the face of the mob, in the face of the crowd, and truth is right here in the room. This is truth. In the midst of yelling, in the midst of the screaming mob, crowd that hates Jesus. But that crowd, that crowd keeps popping up. They're against Pilate. They're against Jesus. 
All the people in Jerusalem wanted Jesus dead and gone. All the people hated Jesus. All the people in Israel, all the people in Judea, all the Jewish people hated Jesus. All the people today hate Jesus. All the people around you hate Jesus. All the people when you go to work, they hate Jesus. When you go and play, they hate Jesus. Anything you read, everything you hear, everybody around you hates Jesus. You're all alone. If we think that, or if we think that here in this scene, I think we're listening to the wrong crowd. We're listening to the wrong crowd. You know the story, since Dad told you the story like 15 minutes ago, but here we go. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples ahead saying, Look, go to the village, find a donkey and a colt buyer. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. And they'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill some prophecy. In verse 5, say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. That is a beast of burden. That is humility. And on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and asked, who is this? The crowds answered him, this, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. At some point during all of this, these same Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, quiet down this crowd. Quiet down this mob. Quiet down your disciples. And Jesus says, I promise to you, if they keep quiet, even the rocks are going to cry out and worship me as King and Messiah. Creation is going to be the crowd if you silence this crowd. This is the crowd to listen to. And I guarantee you that many in this crowd continue to follow Jesus. I don't buy for one second that the crowd turned on Jesus. I think parts of the crowd were swayed by the Pharisees and the religious elite. I think one person, two people, a group of the crowd in the weak mind and the weak heart have given up on Jesus. But the crowds in Jerusalem, those who were not the elite, those who were going through, doing their best, getting through life, gave their lives and their hearts to Jesus because he'd offered hope and he offered direction. He offered peace in their lives. This is the crowd you listen to. I'm reminded of Elijah here today. In 1 Kings chapter 19, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper, and guess what? There's God in the whisper. It's hard to hear sometimes over the crowd. When Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face. He went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. Everybody I know hates Jesus. When I go to work, they hate Jesus. When I watch TV, they hate Jesus. When I go to some corporation or I buy a product or whatever it might be, they hate Jesus. Even some of my friends hate Jesus. Everybody hates Jesus and I'm all alone. And now they're trying to kill me too. In verse 18, God addressed this. He says, I have reserved 7,000 that you don't know anything about, Elijah. 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. 
and whose mouths have not kissed them. Elijah, you are looking at and listening to the wrong crowd, brother. There's a lot of people who love Jesus. There's a lot of people that you can't even see sometimes who pursue righteousness in their life. Do they do it perfectly? Not at all. But that's okay because Jesus is. And they trust Jesus and they love Jesus. And they'd love to hear some prophecy. And they'd love to hear someone praise Jesus in the midst of the crowd. There's more. Even though they only might sound like a whisper at times. I'm reminded of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I'm reminded of the revelation of Christ, Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked. This is John writing. And there before me, I saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Pilate was listening to the wrong crowd. There's a crowd that loves Jesus. There's a crowd that's given their life to Jesus. His brief appearance, Pilate's, is full of tragedy, I think. He ignores his conscience. He disregarded the good advice from his wife. Don't ever do that. He chose political expediency. He chose peace, chose comfort, rather. He failed to recognize the truth even when the truth was standing right in front of him. The decisions he made to destroy Jesus appeared in the moment to be the easy one, the good one, the right one, the one that keeps the peace. But his focus was on the wrong crowd. It was on the wrong people, and it was certainly on the wrong king. You are going to encounter, you will encounter, and you will continue to encounter People, as you walk through this life, that hate the very idea of Jesus. It happens. It's going ha- to get worse. They will call it an old-fashioned thing. They will call it out of touch. They will call it stifling, almost like a prison. They will hate his commands. They'll hate his teaching. They'll hate his followers. And they will definitely hate that crazy group of people called his church. And it's tempting. It's tempting. It's tempting to listen to the crowd when they're loud. It's tempting to listen to the crowd when they won't go away. It's tempting just this moment, just this time, to appease the crowd in your own mind, your own heart, your own life. But there are others. There are others. There are others who know. There are those whose eyes they've allowed to be opened. There's a large crowd who realize that when Jesus shows up, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter who we were, they realize that nothing is better than when Jesus shows up. They're out there. Don't listen to the wrong crowd. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you. We thank you that there is always, always people in this light and in this world and in this creation whose knees have not bowed to idols. No matter where we go, no matter how long it takes, there will always be church. We know they whisper sometimes, Father, help us to listen. Help us to obey Christ. To know that what He wants is good and right. It's hard for us, Father, because it goes against our pride. But we know that Jesus loves us so much so that He gave His life for us. Help us to realize that that's what we are called to do. That that's this rebuilding into who and what we are. And we listen to Jesus. We listen to the call of the shepherd. Not the cries of the crowd that say, hey, crucify and kill. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing today.
but I know that it was for our good and for our benefit so that we could live eternally with you. I thank you for that grace and love. In Jesus' name.